Oh god. Just get comfy. <laughs> this is gonna be uh Oh my god. Hi everybody. I'm gonna place my ass right on Kyle's pillow. And <laughs> Do it. Fart on it. So this is gonna wake up with pink eye. I hope so. Oh, I'll do no. it with my pants on. <laughs> I don't want I'm gonna get pink eye just out of association or something. That's so shit. Uh we're recording with one mic today. We kept watching TikTok and we're for like just, an hour. We're, this is this is what we do on recording days. Nicole comes over and we chill and we watch TikToks and we bullshit for a bit. <clears throat> and then we're finally like, maybe we should record. Yeah. <laughs> but Kyle wants to play with Pookie today on the on the computer, which means that we can't use our normal recording setup. Which means that we were forced into my room. Now we're just kind of chilling on bed with one microphone. Like, you know, the ancient days. I, I don't know. What? What? Ugh. Ugh. All right. Anyway. Hi, everybody. I'm Erica. I'm Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> She's... <laughs> she's on and facebook shit. and memes and she's like oh yeah we have a podcast to record okay no let me tell you a quick story i like quick stories two years ago when i worked at dr doom at universal mm-hmm. we had an ice cream party right and it came back up on my memories because what happened was everyone ate the ice cream and i was kind of stressing out and i'm like is there literally nothing else for me they ended up bringing cookies for me but i'm just like i'm lactose intolerant i don't want to eat ice cream at a work event and not be able to run home to the comfort of my own bathroom. Yeah. Somebody found a thing of lactate in the lost and found and threw it at me, joking. They'll just eat this. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. So everyone's making oh fun of God. me for being lactose intolerant, right? The next day, everyone got sick from the ice cream except for me because oh. I didn't eat it. And I was just like, God protected me and hurt all of you. Ah. <laughs> so it came up in my memories. That's amazing. They just kept making fun of me for being lactose and talking. They threw lactate at me. Yeah. And I'm like, God hurt you and he saved me. That's literally <laughs> totally what it was. Oh my God. That's hilarious. That's Ugh. what you get. Yelp. Ay, ay, ay. You want to just like jump into it? No, let's let's just it. jump into it. <coughs> I'm joking. Yeah. This is an interesting setup. We're literally like two inches apart from each other. No, we're just like laying on the bed. Yeah, we're just chilling. Chilling on our, on our tummies, feet up, swinging. Yelp with the skull in the background. Sleepover style. We're totally sleepover styling this. I miss Stephanie. Stephanie needs to join us. Can we hair. record the podcast with like auto tune filter one day? Oh my God. And then one day I went to the do 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 do. Okay. All right. Anyway, so let's get into it. Um, do you want me to start or do you want to start? You can start. Cool. I'll turn this mic towards me then. All right, so I have been on a bit of a, uh, like, Roman, not Roman, um, like, 15th century kick with King Henry and all that shit. Oh, you have? Yeah, because when I was on leave, I was watching uh, the Tudors and that kind of, like, I've watched it a few times before, but... 
uh, Nicole had Nicole came over a few times to keep me company. Playing and hooky from work. <laughs> she's like playing hooky. <laughs> so she's like, I'm bored. I'm like, me too. Come over. And uh, I would just be sitting there on my ass watching the tutors. But anyway, it really got me to like research some of the ghostly shit uh, regarding the Tower of London. So let's talk about the Tower of London. And that's like one of the places that I would love to go sometime. So the Tower of London uh, is also known as the White Tower uh, and also known as Her Majesty's Royal Palace and Fortress of the Tower of London. And it was founded in 1066 with the White Tower in the middle being built by William the Conqueror in 1078. It was a symbol of oppression in the middle of London, and the castle was utilized as a prison from 1100 to 1952. Even though it was utilized as a prison, it was also used as a place to house the current royal family. The tower is a complex of several buildings set within two concentric rings of defensive walls and a moat. It had a huge part of England's history. The tower was seen by its enemies as the grand prize, since whoever controlled the tower controlled the kingdom. The two had multiple roles over its or excuse me, the tower had multiple roles over its time. For example, it was an armory, a treasury, a menagerie, which is basically a small zoo, uh, the home of the royal mint, a public record office, and home of the crown jewels of England. Even though the tower has a reputation of death and torture, it turns out that only a total of seven people were actually executed within its walls before the 20th century and the World Wars. Most of the executions during the 15th and 17th century were done at Tower Hill, with about 112 executions in about a 400-year period, which that seems like very little. Mm-hmm. Like, 112 over 400 years is like nothing. That's nothing. I thought you meant like 400 out of the 112. I heard that wrong, but yeah, that's literally 112 nothing. executions in about four in about a 400 year period. Yeah, that's yeah, nothing. that's crazy. That actually blew me away when I read that. I was just like, I could have sworn there would have been like a whole lot more. I would have thought the numbers would be reversed. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially with how people were all about, you know, chopping people's heads off and shit. Even though most media would say torture was done in the tower's dungeons, for the most part, it barely took place in that location. Records show that only 48 people between 1540 and 1640 were actually tortured at the tower. The tower was also used as a prison during World War I and II, and during World War I, 12 men were tried and executed within the tower walls for espionage. During World War II, the tower took damage during the Blitz. However, after the war, the tower was repaired and was then opened to the public as a museum. In 1974, the Tower of London was subject to a terrorist attack by a 10 to 14 pound bomb being set off within the White Tower. One person died and 14 others were injured. They never truly found out who made the attack, but it was suspected to be the IRA, which is the Irish Republican Army, which is part of Northern Ireland. Are you going to say that the IRS? Yeah, the IRS, totally. Is tax return yet? Not yet. Because you have kids. I'm getting a massive tax return. Yeah, I got a like, decent one. Did you? Yeah. But, like, everyone's complaining if they haven't gotten it yet. I haven't like, gotten it. I got my W-2s from both jobs on the 2nd, and I got my tax return the week after. So I was like, Bullshit! I'm getting 6K back, and I'm still waiting, and I did mine, like, two, three weeks ago. That's not hurt. 
All right, going back to the Tower of Terror, that was bombed by the IRA, not the IRS. We're waiting. <laughs> Just waiting. Uh, the tower is still home to the ceremonial regimental headquarters of the Royal Regiment of, I'm going to kill this, Fusilers, Fusilers, F-U-S-I-L-I-E-R-S. Um, and the museum dedicated to it and its predecessor, the Royal Fusilers. I cannot pronounce that. Royal F. <laughs> Also, a detachment of the unit providing the Queen's Guard at Buckingham Palace still mounts a guard at the tower, and with the Yeoman ward, uh, Warders, FF, who are also known as Beefeaters, uh, takes part in the ceremony of the keys each day. So the ceremony of the keys takes place every evening where the main gates are locked and is said to be the oldest military tradition in the world. Basically, they start like at a certain time, and it ends exactly on like at like nine o'clock or something like that. But they have to start at exactly like eight fifty-three or something along those lines. Um, there was only one time where it was actually delayed or it didn't happen, and I think that was during one of the wars. So uh, the tower is also known for its ravens and has at least six housed at the tower at all times. The ravens are cared for by the raven master and is believed if the ravens were ever to leave the tower, the kingdom will fall. I want that title, raven master. <laughs> <laughs> ravens are pretty freaking awesome. Like, if you treat them well, they'll actually bring you, like, little trinkets and stuff. Like, have you heard about that? Like, crows and ravens yeah. in general? It's pretty cool. I want to make friends with a crow so I can get little trinkets. So let's talk about some of the famous prisoners. Some of the more well-known prisoners um, and those who were sent to die was, first of all, Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn was Henry's eighth, or Henry VIII's second wife. She was charged with incest, witchcraft, and adultery. She was beheaded at the tower by a French executioner who utilized a sword where the victim was kneeling instead of a standard axe and the victim's head on the block. So her execution was delayed twice because the executioner um, unfortunately suffered some issues on the road, so he had delays getting there. Uh, when told about the delay by Sir William Kingston, who was in charge of guarding Anne, um, he wrote in a letter on May 19th of 1536, uh, the morning of Anne's execution, Kingston wrote, This morning she sent for me that I might be with her at such a time as she received the good Lord to the intent I should hear her speak as touching her innocence or innocency, um, always to be clear. And in the writing of this, she sent for me. And at my coming, she said, Mr. Kingston, I hear I shall not die after noon. And I am very sorry, therefore, um, for I thought to be dead by this time and past my pain. I told her that it should be no pain and it was so little. And then she said, I heard the executioner was very good, and I have a little neck. And then put her hands about it, laughing heartily. I have also, or I have seen many men and also women executed, and that, have, and that they have been in great sorrow. And to my knowledge, this lady has much joy in death. Sir, her, um, Alamoner, A-L-M-O-N-E-R, can't pronounce that is continually with her and had been since 2 o'clock after midnight. So she basically was like, oh, I heard he was really good because I have a really small neck. So 
No. Anne was executed on the morning of May 19, 1536. She was buried in an unmarked grave in Chapel St. Peter, um, which is located within the tower's walls. Her skeleton was identified during renovations of the chapel in 1876 in the reign of Queen Victoria, and Anne's grave is now identified on the marble floor. Uh, Catherine Howard, Henry's fifth wife, uh, she was 17, young, flippant. She was young and flippant. She was sentenced to death after being caught having an affair with the king's groom, Thomas Culpepper, as well as not disclosing her promiscuous background to the king prior to marriage. While she awaited her death, Catherine had requested to have a block or have the block brought to her cell where she practiced placing her head on the block until it was time for execution. Before Catherine was put to death, she proclaimed, Today I die a queen, but I'd rather die as Culpepper's wife. Like, goddamn. Catherine was also buried in the chapel of St. Peter in an unmarked grave. Her remains, however, were not excavated, but her memory was uh, commemorated by a plaque on the west wall that has the names of those who died in the tower. So, uh, fun fact, only two out of six of Henry's wives were actually executed. So even though he had eight wives, or no, six, six, he had six wives, um, most people thought that whenever King Henry wanted to get rid of his wife, he would just kill them. Mm-hmm. He only actually beheaded two out of the six. Yeah, you told me that the other day, and I was just like, oh. Yeah, just two out of the six. Because um, the first one, Catherine, his original wife, her first wife, Catherine, um, she he divorced her, and then she died of natural causes later on. And then it was Anne, and Anne was executed. And then after Anne was um, not Catherine Howard, you know, no, it was um, it was another Catherine Seymour, Catherine Seymour. No, if you don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I think it was Catherine Seymour. Either way, she died in childbirth after providing a son to King Henry. And then it was Catherine Howard, and she was just sleeping with everybody, so she got her head taken off. And after Catherine was, I can't remember. Oh, my gosh. All the names are just living. Anyway, either way, out of the six, only two were beheaded. So uh, Jane Boleyn, um, she assisted Catherine Howard uh, with her affair with Thomas Kepepper. While Jane was in prison, she had gone mad and declared insane. Due to this, it was found she was unfit for trial and was unable to be illegally executed. Of course, the king was determined to punish her for her role, uh, due to like for her role of Catherine's affairs. So he made it legal to punish those found guilty of high treason okay. against the king. God. So he's just like. I don't care if she's insane. I still want her head to be taken off. So, yep. Margaret Pohl. Uh, Margaret Pohl was the Countess of Salisbury and had been a handmaiden of Catherine of Aragon, Henry's eighth, uh, Henry VIII's first wife and then governess of the Princess Mary. Margaret's son, Reginald, was the reason for Margaret's downfall. Reginald, who had become a cardinal for the Roman Catholic Church, refused to acknowledge King Henry's dissolution of marriage to the Queen Catherine of Aragon, a.k.a. the first wife. Pope Paul III put Margaret's son, Reginald, in charge of gathering assistance for the pilgrimage of grace 
which was to march to London and force them back into the Catholic, uh, Catholic religion instead of the Church of England, which King Henry put into place. Due to this, King Henry attempted to have Reginald assassinated. But because of Reginald's crimes against the king, Margaret and her grandson um, and her son were taken captive in the Tower of London. Margaret had stayed in the tower for two years until May 27, 1541, when she was informed she was to die. She continued to profess her innocence up until the time of her execution. So with her execution, though, however, the executioner was not very experienced. Therefore, it took 11 blows to finish the job. So he, he basically hacked at her head and her shoulders and her neck. And it took 11 blows to finally, finally cut her head off. Jesus. Like, ugh. I was watching the Tudors, and they obviously had this in, an, like, they had this in one of the episodes. And, oh, dear God. Like, no thank you. No. Ugh. Like, you know what's weird? That, like, beheading is, like, one of my fears. Really? Of being beheaded. Yes. It is literally one of my fears. And what's crazy is that they say that the head actually remains active for eight seconds after your head's cut off. So theoretically, like, so basically when your head's cut off, you're still aware of what's happening for at least eight seconds before everything, like. But I mean, you die, so. It's yeah, like but still, like, eight horrible seconds. And there was a guy who legit. Was like, I bet you this is the case. And he legit had his head cut off voluntarily. And he's like, I will blink multiple times after I get my head cut off. And so he had his head cut off and he blinked for up to eight seconds. Why did he want? I Because he, I have no idea. Because for science. For science. Bro. He had his head cut off for science. Bro, why? I don't know. So let's talk about the ghosts, finally, right? So, of course, not everybody who died in the castle was executed, as we know, prior to King Henry VIII's uh, axing, axing spree. Uh, King Henry IV uh, was actually imprisoned in the tower during the War of Roses, and on May 12th, 1471, he died. It was said he died of illness. However, some people now believe he was stabbed to death while he was kneeling for prayer at Wakefield Tower to prevent him from gaining the throne. It's said that on the anniversary of his death, his ghost is seen pacing the spot where he died, and at midnight he disappears. In uh, 1483, Richard, the th uh, Richard III took the throne and had his two nephews, Edward V and Richard, Duke of York, thrown into the Tower of London. Nobody really knows exactly how they died, but in 1674, the skeletal remains of two children were found buried under the tower stairs. So even though the remains were placed in Westminster Abbey, the children's spirits are still seen in what is now known as the Bloody Tower, dressed in white night shirts. They have also been spotted playing in the battlements, and visitors have often commented on the sound of children laughing where there are no children present. Uh, Anne Boleyn is also said to haunt the place where she had passed and can sometimes be seen at the place where her execution took place. Uh, from on the com, and I quote, 
Perhaps the most spectacular ghost story relating to Anne is that of the captain of the guard who saw a light flickering in the locked Chapel Royal late one night. He tried to uncover the source of the light by climbing up the ladder and was met with an unbelievable scene unfolding inside. A procession of knights and ladies dressed in ancient costumes pacing the chapel. Their leader, an elegant female whose face he could not see but whose figure resembled that of Anne Boleyn's in portraits he had seen, the procession later disappears. End quote. And again, that was from onthetothetrail.com. Uh, in 1864, a soldier on duty near, lieutenant, near the lieutenant's lodgings made another sighting of Anne's ghost. He claimed to have confronted and challenged a white figure, and when his challenge met no response, he plunged his bayonet into the figure. To his complete shock, the weapon did not meet flesh and instead went straight through the woman. According to the traditional story, an officer lodged uh, an officer. Um, lodged in the Bloody Tower, saw the whole event take place from his window. It's said she also haunts her childhood home in Hever Castle, where she manifests under an oak tree, where she and Harry courted, and it's also been reported that her spirit also walks across the bridge that crosses the River Eden to the castle. She also haunts Windsor Castle, where she's been seen to be standing in the window at Dean's Cloister, and she's also been reported to run down a hallway screaming while holding her head, like in her arms. Uh, Margaret de la Pole, uh, due to her horrendous death, Margaret can be heard screaming from the area where her scaffold stood. People have also stated that they have seen a reenactment of the sorts take place as well. That would most likely be the, like a residual haunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, Henry VIII's armor is haunted. I believe that. <laughs> it's located in the White Tower, and people have reported of a crushing feeling that disappears after they leave. Guards have reported being physically attacked, and one guard claims he was covered and strangled by a cloak. When he freed himself, he was alone. And another guard claimed a voice said, there's only you and I here, as he sat down to rest his feet. Oh, wow. Uh, let's see. Lady Jane Grey was the great-granddaughter of Henry VII and took the throne over Princess Mary because of the pressure she received from the male members of the household. She was only a queen for nine days until Princess Mary ordered her death, as well as Lady Jane's husband, Guilford Dudley, so she could take back the throne. She was 16 at the time of her death, and it's said that she could be seen walking around the battlements. And so the one final one is a bear. There is a ghost of a bear. I like that. <laughs> uh, as stated earlier, the tower was also held as menagerie, which is a small zoo. Most of the animals that were kept there were utilized as entertainment and fights. Oh, those types of shit. Oh, yep. I'm sad now. That type of shit. Not, not the fun kind. No, the bad kind. Uh, one night, a guard... Um, on night duty, saw a ghostly bear near Martin Tower, and terrified, he struck at it with his bayonet, only to find it went right through the vision, oh, and this is it, and stuck into the door behind. It was said the guard died of shock a few hours afterwards, and it took two guards to pull the bayonet from the door. Yeah. Um, as I was researching this, I also came across a video of a man who filmed shadows walking along the wall. And it's crazy because I'm sitting here and I'm watching the video and I'm watching the shadows go across the wall. And the guy's like, oh my gosh, those are ghosts. And I'm like, it really honestly just looks like people walking back and forth. Yeah. 
like from a spotlight and their shadows are just projecting on the wall. However, there are a few like shadows that I saw that honestly could not be explained. You can tell that that's not a shadow of a person, really. Yeah. It was weird. But yeah, that was the Tower of London. Don't they do like torture? Didn't they used to do torture in there? Did you mention that? Yeah, they did, but it really wasn't as much torture as it like as people think it was okay because you remember that one goosebump was it goosebumps the tower of like night in the tower or something and the kids got stuck in there it was like some weird thing i was it goosebumps i think it was goosebumps let me see that's the one goosebumps book that i remember vividly if it was goosebumps the only goosebumps book that i remember vividly was the one about the the mannequin not the mannequin, but the dummy. A Night in Terror Tower. Night of the Living Dummy is the one that I read and I hated. I hate that. Okay, yeah, so it was A Night in Terror Tower. And let me see. Okay, so it's in London, but it's literally called Terror Tower. So I think maybe it was based off of that. Oh, yeah, that sounds see? about right. That's funny. I was like, that's the one I remember vividly because the plot twist in there is weird. Yeah. If you get the chance to read that Goosebumps book, read it because that ending had me shook. I'm going to have to look it up. That's crazy. All okay. right. What you got? Okay. So since we're kind of on Victorian era. Oh, God. This mic's in my mouth. It's like literally <laughs> in your face. It's in my mouth. Oh, God. I got to sit up my back. Sorry. ASMR. Okay. I'm on my tummy. Let's hope I can read. Can do it. Diaphragm breath support. Uh. She's chunky. Okay. So since we're on like the Victorian era, whatever, London. Yeah. Um, I'm going to kind of keep the theme because you know I like to do that. These are awesome. Yes. So today we're going to talk about fairies. Yo. <laughs> She's fairies yelling. Are scary. Fairies are scary. Are they? Hold on. Let's get situated. Let's get situa- <laughs> situated. Situated. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what is a fairy, Erica? Something that you don't fuck with. That part already. <laughs> a fairy is a magical creature who resembles a human. Beyond that, defining fairies is almost impossible because kind of everyone has a different thought in their head when they think of a fairy. Mm-hmm. Um, their legend is as old as European civilization itself. From what we know, they come in all colors, sizes, and, of course, temperaments. <laughs> Not... <laughs> two fairy encounters are quite the same a more of on a physical description if you saw a picture of an ancient fairy you might mistake it for an elf or even a troll the first fae people certainly weren't as delicate as the fairies we know and love today most were the size of children although some of them could be as tall as adults really and growing up when we learned about fairies and stuff there was one thing in school and they looked like little toddlers but like more wide set and chunky yeah it was weird probably like the trolls from Frozen, but not woodsy like that, but like real people, kind of like that stature. I can picture that, I guess. Yes, like a wide baby. A wide baby. <laughs> like a very wide, like, swallow baby. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see here. They all looked human, but they ranged from supernaturally beautiful to hideously deformed. Some of them had traits that clearly set them apart from humans, like pointed ears, webbed fingers, missing noses, or green or blue skin. 
During the Romantic period, fairies took the stage in plays and operas. So kind of like Shakespeare and everything. Mm -hmm. Ugly fairies fell out of fashion and were replaced by gorgeous creatures whose connection to nature was made obvious by their flowery clothing and woodland companions. Conveniently, these new beautiful fairies were human-sized and prone to falling in love with mortals. That's where all the little stories come from there. During the Victorian era, fairy tales for children became popular. Fairies were shrunk down to a tiny size and given adorable tailored outfits, complete with tiny shoes and hats. Fairies with wings also became more popular, especially after the publication of J.M. Barrie's Peter Pan. Mm, yeah. So Tinkerbell really set the stage. Yep. I freaking love Tinkerbell. <laughs> a fun fact, when I was about 10, when I moved to Florida, not 9, I was completely obsessed with Tinkerbell. My room was a nice light spring green color. My bed sheets were all green and purple with Tinkerbell. I had Tinkerbell like wall decals everywhere. Everything in my room is Tinkerbell. Even if you go in my room now, my room's like blue now, but like I have one of those shoe racks on the back of my door, kind of like how you have Erica. Yeah. If you pull it back, there's still a Tinkerbell behind that on the door. So every time also if you go to Disney... And you watch the nighttime show, yep. spoiler alert, Tinkerbell pops out, right? Yeah. And every time she does, I know it's a person and I still cry because I love Every time I see Tinkerbell, I'm like, <laughs> it's Tinkerbell. Bali- I'll, okay, on the Facebook page, I'll post a picture of me meeting Tinkerbell at yes, Disney. please. Me crying and Vidya from the Pixie Hollow. Oh, I freaking love Oh, my God. Hit me up if you ever want to get in the Disney Pixie Hollow discourse because remember when they changed the artwork before the first movie came out? Mm-hmm. They used to be the books, and they changed the artwork. Oh, so it was going to be 2D with different fairy names. What? And they changed it. Oh, my God. And I have a purple skateboard. Uh, no, a skateboard that has Disney fairies on it, and on the bottom part, it's the old-timey fairies before they changed it to the movie. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, Bess was my favorite, the artist. Mm-hmm. Google it. Okay. Nice. I'm telling you, I'll get into the discourse. <laughs> I love fairies. Okay, some personality. That was a please keep that in. <laughs> I will stay in. Perfect. The Fae people are as diverse in personality as they are in appearance. Their most common traits are a quick wit, a love of parties. Beyond this, they come in all habits and tempers. Some fairies are helpful. They guide travelers who are lost in the forest back towards home. They help with household chores, often going to work overnight so that their hosts wake up to a happy surprise. That's what she said. If they are <laughs> if they are particularly fond of you, they might even lead you to a treasure, give you magical gifts, help you win your true love's hand in marriage, or cast a lucky charm over your life. Others, of course, as we don't fuck with them, are mischievous. Mm-hmm. They delight in misleading travelers or luring them into exhausting dances that go on for days. Yep. They also like to taunt domestic animals, pinching horses to make them gallop, stealing milk from cows and playing cat and mouse with cats and then there are some fairies who are dangerous so dangerous that for centuries they were called the good folk the little people or the neighbors because people were too afraid of them to say their name aloud these fairies usually live in hierarchies where the king or queen is the most dangerous of all they don't just get travelers lost they lead them into deadly bogs when they take a liking to a human baby, they don't cast a charm over its life. They steal it from its cradle and replace it with a sickly changeling. And if they ever share their dances or treasure with you, be sure that the gift does come with a curse. Mm-hmm. The most dangerous fairies can declare war over small disputes. Fortunately, they are more than likely to go to war with other magical creatures like pixies or trolls. 
It's important to be aware that most fairies have fluid personalities. They can go from helpful to mischievous quickly. And despite their clever cleverness, they don't have to have a reason for their decisions. Mm-hmm. So please be careful if you ever get caught in a fairy circle. Yo. Boy. I've seen some TikTok videos. <laughs> we love TikTok in we, this household. We. I used to hate it, but then I start. I hate like the cringy ones, right? Yeah. Like you know exactly who I'm talking about, like the hype house and shit. But there's some TikToks that radiate vine energy, and I approve. Yep. So there's been some. There's like some TikTok videos where someone's just like, "I totally got this little bone in my bed, and it's definitely a gift from a fairy, and I'm not having anything of it." So you gotta like go bury it outside and be like. Thanks, but no thanks. Me. <laughs> like, you don't want to accept gifts from fairies. That's just inviting danger into your home. I want to see you now. What? I want to accept a gift from a fairy. Yo! Fairies, if you're out, if you're out there. Yo! I you're going to end up finding a bone or a tooth in your bed one day. Watch it be my own tooth just oh fell my out. God. <laughs> I need new retainers, y'all. Yo. <laughs> Oh all right some special abilities <laughs> my teeth are falling out as we speak no i'm kidding as magical creatures fairies have almost unlimited power they can fly of course they can make flowers bloom they can conjure up gold they can glow in the dark they can create and cast new charms for any situation and their curses can last for hundreds of years uh-huh Fortunately, there are some measures you can take to keep fairies at bay. Marigolds, primroses, rowan wood, four leaves clovers, and St. John's wart can all be worn or hung over doors to repel the good folk. Iron is even more powerful. An iron nail in your pocket or a horseshoe over your door will provide long-lasting safety. If you're hoping to gain a fairy as a friend, leave a saucer of milk, cream, butter, or ale for the fae people to enjoy at night. If you do this on a regular basis, you might be rewarded. We know what I'm doing tonight. Oh, no, I'm kidding. God, I'm kidding. No. I'm kidding. Yo, and then we're going to hear that Nicole's being tortured by fae people. Yes. Jesus. Watch me just, like, disappear. No, it's so scary. No, I don't want you to disappear. I Please. Need- <laughs> I'm just going to cut out how to become friends with a fairy. You know? <laughs> we strongly advise listeners not to become friends with fairies. Unless you want to, but I mean, do your own thing. Yeah. At the end of the day, we do not take responsibility for your actions. We don't. <laughs> nope. Do not blame us if you disappear because of fairies. Honestly. Although the word fairy comes from Old French, the concept behind these magical creatures cannot be traced back to a single source. Various Celtic and Germanic traditions merge together to create the fairies we think of today. Many scholars believe that fairies are the modern-day version of ancient pagan deities. Most regions that have a rich oral tradition dealing with fairies have a legend about the fae people being driven underground by Christian missionaries. Mm. These stories might symbolize a very real historical fact. Worship of local deities was suppressed by Christians. Still is. Gradually, as people accepted Christianity, they turned their deities into lesser magical creatures, thus preserving their traditions in a way that was compatible with Christian monotheism. A handful of bolder scholars claim that fairies, a prehistoric race of people who inhabited Western Europe, really did exist. These people were driven out of Europe by the Celts and gradually transformed into legend. The childlike size of fairies corresponds with the prehistoric humans in other parts of the world. 
and their fear of iron could be a cultural memory of how iron weapons were used to conquer a race of people who only had stone age weapons Mm. and that gets back to it like when i learned in school like the little people like that's how big humans were back in the day yeah they were tiny and we got thick (laughs) (laughs) and all sudden always all right and here i'm gonna get into some of the is it Greco-Roman influence, Griso, whatever? Oh, jeez. I can't speak. I'm lit. I'm kidding. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Some influences here. The arrival of Romans in Europe was a double-edged sword. On one hand, they began changing the ancient culture almost immediately. On the other, they began writing down the region's oral traditions, thus preserving ancient folklore for the future generations. Long after the first waves of Roman colonization, Rome continued to have a profound effect on fairies. First, Christianity, which was enforced by the Roman Catholic Church, limited the powers of the Fey people and associated them with demons and witches. Later, the nymphs from Roman mythology were blended with fairies, turning them into beautiful creatures with strong bonds to nature. So it all kind of mixes up together there. Yeah. The first definitive text about fairies was written in the 11th century. Since then, they have found their way into many of history's most beloved legends. In Le Morte de Arthur, Morgan, Guinevere, and Merlin are linked to the Fae people. Later versions of Arthur's stories state that he was crowned by fairies and upon death taken to a fairy realm of Avalon and buried under a fairy hill. Yes, Shakespeare's plays with fairies, A Midsummer's Night Dream, where he describes the beautiful dances and meddlesome impulses of fairies. By the mid-17th centuries, fairies had even earned their own category of literature, fairy tales. And that's never clicked in my brain before. Oh my god. That's never clicked in my brain before. Like, when I read that, I was like, what? (laughs) Mind blown. Right? The Grimm brothers and Hans Christian Andersen included the good folk in countless stories, as did other writers. The Victorian era saw a form of sort, a sort of fairy mania that spilled into poetry and painting, as well as children's literature. But it wasn't until the end of the Victorian era that the most iconic fairy of all came along. J.M. Barry published Peter and Wendy in 1911. And Peter's fairy, like we said, Tinkerbell, immediately stole the hearts of all his readers. From there on out, the word fairy would bring a tiny, fussy person glowing with light and held aloft by delicate wings to mind. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, it's cool. It is cool. So that's it for fairies. Yay! Awesome. Oh, God. Bringing it back. My back. My back did not like that position. That's what she said. Uh, cool. Well, thank you for listening to yet another episode of Cheers from the Grave. Uh, you can find us on all social medias, basically. Um, we have a website. We have social media. We have merch. And all of that can be found on our Linktree account, which is L-I-N-K dot no, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash C-F-T-G. So go check it out. Link. Or just find us on Facebook at Cheers from the Grave. It's everything's there. Or you can do that too. So we're basically everywhere. We're not that hard to find. But thank you so much for listening to us. You guys are awesome. We appreciate you. We love you. What you got? Uh, Hi. Bye. <laughs> hi and bye. All right. Cool. So... Also, if it sounds like we're farting or something, like we're on a bed and I'm just like moving and I notice it's like making weird noises. 
<laughs> we promise we're not farting in the mics. I would let you know. I promise. Oh, Jesus. All right. Well, I'm Erica. I'm Nicole. And you're listening to Cheers, Cheers from, from the, the Grave. grave.